What happens when you go back to a movie or show from your past? Maybe something you thought at the time was amazing. What happens when you look at it with the eyes of today? Does it hold up? Can you still enjoy it? That's what we're aiming to discover in our new series, Retroactive Reviews. Today, we revisit Ridley Scott's Academy Award-winning 2000 film, Gladiator. Welcome back to Screen People. Uh, welcome to this kind of new segment, I guess we could call it, whose name I probably said at the beginning, but at this moment that we're recording it, I have actually not determined what the name of this segment is. And we have former podcast guest, Tracy, Dr. Tracy, who's joined us for this kind of experiment. And we're going back. We're taking it way back to the year 2000. Massive, massive film called Gladiator. This movie came out 21 years ago. Why this one? Why were you so interested in going back? Honestly, so I heard some other folks talking about this movie. And I thought, you know what? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And I've seen it. I saw it multiple times until the last few years. Um, and I was like, you know, I haven't seen Gladiator in a long time. And they were talking about it. And I was like, you know what? I'd really like to see that again. I really enjoy that. There's a lot of things about the movie that I really enjoy and enjoyed. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get that. And we had talked about, right, like, you know, after my horrible scarring Top Gun experience, talking about, like, revisiting a movie that I'd seen originally when I was much younger. And I thought, oh, this is a great selection because I'm confident, confident that I will have another positive movie going experience with this. When was the last time you saw this movie? Probably 10 years ago. Okay. 10? That's not bad. So you've rewatched it since you first watched it. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Because that's how math works. I know. I, I was a very stupid common man. Anyway, um, <laughs> At least two. Yeah. So interesting. And so 10 years ago. So you have a 10-year difference. I have a 20, maybe 20-year difference. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it when it came out like on DVD, but I have not seen it since then. So it was very interesting to me because I was in a completely different frame of mind, space, life experience, you name it. And I won't lie, like at first there was some kind of negativeness to it, but then something happened, which has to do with old age. I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep watching it. And then I yeah. woke up and I'm like, I don't care about your stupid gladiator party. I'm going to bed. So the next day I had to like refreshed and watched the other half of the movie. And then I found myself kind of appreciating aspects of the movie that maybe my tired self had not appreciated. Um, then when I read about the making of the film, I, I found some things that I was like, okay, I can see both sides to this now. All right. So I guess we begin with some of the, the details for those of you who don't know or don't remember because um, there was a couple of things here that I didn't remember. Mm -hmm. Gladiator, uh, of course, like we said, came out in May of 2000. It was filmed in 1999, and it was directed by a mildly successful gentleman by the name of Ridley Scott. I looked at his filmography because Ridley Scott is one of those men who I think I know his resume, and then I realize I don't. I know he's made big films. I know he's made famous films, you know, everything from Alien to Blade Runner to Legend, which I didn't know was him. Um, Film and Louise. Thelma and Louise was a complete shock. Didn't know he did G.I. Jane. He was definitely on a kind of strong female character kick there. 
Um, yeah. When you look at like the actual filmography, you're like, hey, good for you, man. After Gladiator, he went on to do Black Hawk Down, uh, American Gangster, and more notably recently would be The Martian, Matt Damon. He's working on a bunch of different projects. This is what I read, and you can jump in anytime. He was working on a bunch of different projects, whatever, and he was approached about doing a movie about gladiators. And he, you know, I, th- I think he, maybe I'm misremembering, but he talked about, you know, he didn't want to do one of those sword and sandal kind of Ben Hur, been there. Nobody wants to do do that again. Super out of fashion at that time, too. Right. Yeah. Nobody's interested in in the gladiators. Nobody's interested in Rome or the Greeks. And then they showed him a painting. That's what yes. I read. Jean Leon Jerome's famous Police Verto. I don't know. <laughs> which is with a twisted thumb, which I looked it up. Did you, did you look up the painting? I did. It's quite striking. You yeah. can kind of see it in the way he's framed the Colosseum. Yes, absolutely. Some, you know, very much reminiscent of that painting. So I think it was a producer who brought him a painting. Or, uh, you know, like a print of the painting and put it in front of him. And it was a gladiator scene. And, you know, we have the whole thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. Um, interestingly enough, in gladiator times, it meant if the person was going to be allowed to live or not. This reminds me of listening to Sandy Toxvig's podcast, because she talked about the fact that they actually don't know if that's actually right. The, and then I did look this up that the position of the thumb, they actually think it was backwards. Opposite. Yeah, they said mm-hmm. up was death. Like, yeah, kill him. Down yep. was uh, let him live. But there's also some theories that sideways or other sides, could it could have been, they don't know. And that's, that's the yeah. beauty of this. They don't know what it means. But anyway, nobody cares about this little tidbit but me. So yeah, so they showed him this painting and he said... I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Whatever this is, I'm going to do it. And like, yeah, but we don't. We haven't even. We don't even have a script yet. He said, I don't care. I want to do this. So suddenly, you have Ridley Scott making a gladiator film with no script. So here comes like I told you that I had a weird connection to this movie. Personally. Already, you already have the weird connection. See, I had a bet on this where your is... weird connection was, but now I'm going to lose that well, bet. Go ahead. I actually, well, probably not because you're you're probably right about yours too. But we'll see. But so my my first weird connection, personal connection with this movie, is that. Much of the source material for the script came from a book called Those About to Die, written by a man named Daniel Mannix. Daniel Mannix had a son also named Daniel Mannix. And when I was growing up, he and I belonged to the same fox hunting club, and I used to babysit his daughter and his wife was my driving coach my horse driving coach um so yeah so i'm two degrees of separation from the source material for this movie he also wrote a bunch of really cool books about wildlife and one that was the first book um published in america about the middle passage called black cargoes so um he uh actually very celebrated author really interesting eccentric guy but yeah know his family very well that's wild and I didn't know that until I started looking at stuff on on this on the movie. I was like, "Oh, look at that!" Yeah. So you knew he was a writer. You just probably didn't know that that book was connected to this. Not that. Yeah, exactly. Not that specific book. I have some of his other books. Of course you do. Um, but not that one. Yeah. Well, you know, I got an inside track. That's amazing. And we have David yep. Franzoni, who yep. is sort of the kind of the creator of the concept of Gladiator again. 
There was a non-existent script. So he's sort of, he's credited as one of the writers, but I think he actually worked on Amistad. It would be good if I had looked that up, but I forgot. Um, so, so there you go. Um, something for someone to Google. And then you have Russell Crowe. He just finished The Insider, which was a really big film. He was nominated for an Academy Award, didn't win, and then he decides to do Gladiator. He actually said that because, you know, for The Insider, he had actually, like, um, gained a lot of weight to play this, you know, a non-fictional character and they had him in these wigs and he said he shaved his head off so that he could put the wigs on nicely right because it's more comfortable if you don't have any hair shaved his head not shaved his head off i don't know what that meant um but anyway so when they asked him if he wanted to be a gladiator he's like i don't look like a gladiator at all and you know what no we're, we're good we're good we'll make it work so there you go you know he had already done let me my research department is looking at this hang on he had already done la confidential which is another yes. interesting film. I always assumed that was later, but it's actually before The Insider. Yeah, L.A. Confidential was one of the reasons why I wanted to see Gladiator. Because he was exceptional in L.A. Confidential. Oh my gosh, yeah. like, blew the doors off. I think it's like L.A. Confidential, Proof of Life, which is the Meg Ryan period, for those of you who don't know. Then <laughs> Didn't last. Um, then The Insider, and then Gladiator. So he's just coming off the, the hit of L.A. Confidential, the Oscar nomination for The Insider. So, yes, yeah, so then oh, yeah. you have him and we have this movie. He is not offered like a brilliant script like The Insider. He is told, we have this movie concept. We don't really have a script. No, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. They said, we do have a script. We don't want you to see it. <laughs> that is actually what he, that they said. In our minds. They the said, script we, is in our we, mind. No, we, we, we have a working script, but you're not going to like it. Here's what we're selling. Ridley Scott, and you are a Roman general. Gladiator. That's the, that's the pitch. Yeah. We'll get to the script. And he said, okay, fine. There are so many weird things in this movie. He's Hispano-Roman Legatus. Legatus. The character is from Hispania, which was Same. Spain. Which, by the way, was lost on me. Maybe because right. I was tired. And they refer to him at some points as the Spaniard for most of the movie. Correct. And I was like, yes. how, did, how, did, how did the Australian guy become Spaniard? I don't understand. Well, that's what I was going to say. He's the most Anglo actor in the world. Do you like, know? does not does not do well with... The, like, they could have called him the Irishman. Like, they could have called him lots of things, but he shows up with his Australian accent. This is a nitpick for me, right? Oh, okay, go he ahead. He shows up with his Australian accent with his blue eyes, and he's like, hi, I'm the Spaniard. I'm like, yeah, and I'm a basketball player, you know? <laughs> Do you know, this is going to sound made up, but I fact-checked it, and by that I mean I read something. Um, <laughs> on the internet. On the internet, so it has to be true. People who were actually looked at possibly to play this role. Number one, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Ah, damn it. Uh, that's right. I got others. I got others. Mel Gibson, <laughs> who turned it down, said he was too old. He'd already done Braveheart by that point, so I get it. Antonio Banderas, mm -hmm. an actual man from Hispania. And then, of course, why not throw another Australian in, Hugh Jackman, which is also confusing. There is a quote. Russell Crowe wanted Maximus to sound more authentic. So he asked if he could essentially replicate Antonio Banderas's accent. To which Ridley Scott said, no. 
No. Excellent choice. And that is why our Spaniard doesn't sound Spanish. He does not have the acento because Ridley Scott was like, that's a bad idea. It, he Maybe he looked into the future and saw Les Mis and was like, oh. no, Russell, this is not happening. Interesting. I'm just thinking, like, I'm just trying to, like, yeah. imagine Hugh Jackman in this role and they could have made it a musical. Like, he could have, like, burst out of the tunnel, like, singing and dancing. It could have been amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, he could have. The things we don't think about. That, oh, hindsight. Do you know that 90, like 80% of the movie does not take place in Rome? Correct. The movie is like 127 minutes. And I remember yes. I wrote down it was like 107 minutes in and we were yeah. about to go to Rome. Yeah, we had to go to Germany. We had to go to Algeria. Spent a little time in Spain. Painful. Just a little tiny bit. Just a little bit. A little tiny bit of Spain, painful Spain, Spain time. But yeah, like basically very little time in Rome. So... I, we should probably talk about the plot, but I mean, most people should know the plot by now. It's 20 years old, 21 years old. Sure. He's a gladiator. Okay. That's the plot. He's a gladiator. He was a general turned a slave, turned a gladiator, turned a hero or something. Savior of Rome. What's that? He's the savior of Rome. This movie, there was this running script that kept changing every day in pre-production, in post, in, I mean, not in post, in during the production, people would get new pages. My favorite quote was Russell Crowe kind of losing his shit because they got to Malta and he said, I don't have anything to learn. I don't have any pages. I don't know what we're saying. I don't know what scenes we're doing. I don't know what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Just to give you an idea or anyone who's listening, that's what Gladiator was like. Now, I watched a behind the scenes and they made it sound like a very collaborative work between people. But what it actually sounded like was occasionally one actor or another saying, hey, this sounds weird. Is this even remotely accurate? Mm -hmm. And someone's saying, well, what do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think it would sound like? I'm like, well, it would probably say something like this. Well, That's great. Let's do that. Sold. <laughs> and here's, the, yes. here's my favorite Ridley Scott quote. It may look seamless, but making the film was like climbing 16 mountains. <laughs> What is this movie? And it won multiple Academy Awards. It won Best Picture. They mm -hmm. added a bunch of historical facts to the story that then they completely obliterated. Mm -hmm. They had historical fact checkers on, mm -hmm. the, on the set. Mm -hmm. One of them quit in disgust. Another one said, don't put my name in the credits. Because they did. They took a bunch of sort of historical stuff and then they totally ignored all of it. Yeah. Even yeah. the locations were criticized. Because of what mm -hmm. they made places look like. For example, Rome was covered in stone, not dirt. But when they arrive in Rome, it's covered in dirt. Yeah. Every historian was like, excuse me, that's not accurate. So, here we have this movie. Not historical, but historical. What do you think? When, when you rewatched it, what, was your, what were your yeah. thoughts? So, I have to say that for the purposes of this movie it doesn't it's not claiming to be based on true events absolutely it is not claiming to be a biopic and so for me when i look at this it's a fantasy story set far far away a long long time ago it is a beautiful movie there's lots of symbolism in the movie the political stuff which takes a long time to get through mm -hmm. is very prescient and one could see even our modern times reflected in part of the political story. It's about family and intrigue and power and corruption. 
And for me, it's just a really beautiful movie. Like, I'm a big fan of, like, David Lean, people like that. And this felt like a David Lean movie with the use of color symbolism. You know, the red petals were always falling when, you know, when Maximus was present. And, you know, the symbolism of of many of the other, you know, kind of touchstones and things like that. How gray Rome looked when when um, Commodus came in, everything was dark and all those types of things. And, you know, for, so for me, the enjoyment in the watching, and I'm not going to lie, right? I love the gladiator scenes. I love the violence. I love the action excitement, the, the wartime type stuff. I think it's fantastic and it's really exciting to watch. But the spectacle of it is really, I think, what I feel like I celebrate when I watch it. I did actually read up on Commodus. Mm-hmm. His actual death is more amusing to me than the movie Death. Do you know how Commodus died? Can I bore you with that? He was strangled in his bath. Oh, by the wrestler Narcissus. Yes, very good. Well done. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you very much. How did you fill yes. in the blank there? You must have done well in your SATs. Well, you know, I was a philosophy major, so. <laughs> I just had some classics training right there. So, yeah, that's fun. And his sister, you know, what I like to call the one actress in the movie. Yeah, it is a sausage fest. It is a massive sausage. And I think that that was definitely something that I picked up on 20 years later. And I'm like, there's like yeah. one lady who has lines in this entire movie. Yes. During the and- cha- chariot fight, there was a briefly a woman of color. Yeah. And I was like, yes. hey, oh, she's dead. I think, <laughs> cut her weight in half. I actually think there were two. I think they cut there the were. first one in half. Which mm-hmm. was also kind of gruesome. Like, oh, there's a lady. Oh, God, they cut her in half. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, there's another lady. Oh, I don't think her head's totally attached now. No, oh. but they were both awesome with the crossbow. They were amazing. Amazing with the crossbows. Um, but yes, uh, L- L- Lucilla, 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 mm-hmm. Lucilla, Lucilla, Lucilla. Somebody added this. Lucilla, sister to Commodus. Real life, also sister to Commodus. She was real. She did actually was involved in a plot to try to kill him. You probably mm-hmm. already know this because you studied for your SATs. Um, eventually, she was sent to an island and then eventually had her killed. But not in the movie because nobody wants to see that in a movie. She was very interesting. So the first line that I wrote down because I thought it was very interesting and I knew we'd never come back to it was a line that Marcus Aurelius, when he was still alive for the first five minutes of this movie, looks at his daughter, Lucilla, and says, if you had been a man, what a Caesar you would have made. And that kind of sucked, in a way, because again, looking at it 20 years later, I'm like, she's like the only woman in this entire thing. Yes. She has, I mean, she has quite a bit of agency. I thought one thing that I thought was interesting was the way that she was lit in many of the scenes that I felt like her, the way she was lit often in like a combination of shadow, but light always over her eyes reminded me of like movies from the 1950s of how the ingenue was always like in half light. And she was always kind of peering between 
you know, curtains and around corners and always with this very glamorous kind of soft focus half light. And I was like, I mean, Connie Nielsen looked great in this movie. And I think, you know, she she did a great job kind of projecting the fact that she's smarter than Commodus and has a clearer eyed view of the political ramifications of things. But she's terrified of him because he's crazy and he's put himself in charge by murdering their father, you know, but, you know, she, it would be great if she had a little bit more to do. And I really think it's interesting. Like I said, in the way that she's shot, it's very, it very much sort of defines her as um, the, I don't want to say the window dressing, but a little bit that way, like, Oh, we're talking about the way, you know, a, an older way of viewing women. We're going to put her in that spot. Yeah. And Which I, I thought I, was kind of interesting. I don't disagree. I actually think Lucilla's character is extremely interesting. Um, she's very powerful. She's very smart. And she's always just behind the curtain. Everything that she does um, for the good of everyone is always behind the curtain, out of, out of sight of people. So I do think, I mean, they did write a very strong character. I think if we saw that movie today, we would have gotten more of her. Yeah. And and a little bit, you know, like we would have cut out some of the sausage to make yes. a little bit more room for her. Um, yes. But I did, I mean, you know, they made her brother absolutely terrifying. And I thought they did a great job of that. And her trying to balance him and keeping him mm-hmm. just just at bay, but not too far. I, I, I did think it was really well written. I think the one thing, if I could have one pet peeve with that character, I felt like the love story wasn't necessary. Totally. Right? She was already a strong character. They understood yes. each other. They could have been friends. She could yeah. have respected him as a friend and as a yeah. person who's done great things for Rome, which she believed in Rome. So having right. the, you know, we were once together, but now we're not, you know, ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend thing was unnecessary. Yeah. Right. But I think it also is like, oh, yeah, but it was the year 2000 and we just don't do that. It's kind of like that whole when Harry met Sally effect, you know, when man, men and women try to be friends, even if it's a movie about friendship at the end, they end up a couple. Right. So it just is kind of like a little bit baked into the mindset of like what kind of a relationship people are going to be interested in for that time period. You never really find out like what the whole backstory is. It seemed like he grew up with Commodus and Lucilla in some way that he had been associated with the emperor for a long time, but he's a relatively young man. Like he wasn't a, he wasn't born a general. Like he came from his farm in Spain. I'd love to kind of, I wouldn't mind seeing like the prequel, right? Like, you know, what was that story? Like what set up those relationships? But I do think it would be more interesting if they were aligned in a way that's not romantic. How about the tigers? You're a vet, Trinarian. Yeah. This movie has tigers in it because, of course, there were live animals in the Colosseum. I made the mistake of watching 10 Things You Didn't Know About the Colosseum. And thankfully, Uh, it was animated, so it made it easier. (laughs) Right? So it was pretty terrible. Yeah, when you see, like, an animated beheaded giraffe, you're like, yeah, that could have been so much worse. So the Colosseum was full of animals, animals that ate people animals that got murdered. And so they decided to incorporate some of this in this movie because, again, you know, just a hint of reality. And they used tigers. Five tigers, to be exact. What do you think about the tiger scenes? Um, I thought the tiger scenes were pretty good. They um, were effective at increasing the anxiety 
Um, apparently shooting those tiger scenes was really tricky because of course they couldn't actually have a tiger jump on Russell Crowe um, and, and maul him. Um, and if you notice when Russell Crowe kills the tiger that jumps on him, when the tiger rolls over on its back, it has not a mark on it. There's no blood on the tiger. The tiger is just a trained tiger rolling over on its back because that's what it was meant to do. So it's kind of interesting because like that one, that one, that one death was kind of PG, like no spurting blood for the tiger. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. And I think actually probably the way in which they were, you know, like they were managing those tigers with the collars, trying to get them to only like aim or like be concentrated on one of the fighters and not the other one. I think that was probably not far off of, of what might have happened. Apparently, there was another scene with lions, I don't know if you knew this, that got cut. <gasps> no. Where they had lions eating Christians in the arena. They filmed it, and it was something that Maximus was watching to, like, again, like, kind of, like, get into his mind about, like, why he's so horrified by the spectacle of the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they did that. I'm glad that they chose the tigers in the fight instead of the lions eating the children. I think that's probably a better choice. Yeah, you know, but but that does make sense because so much in the sound design when you're in the, you know, the gladiator areas, you hear the animals. I noticed yes. that when I was watching it, you hear them roaring, yep. but we never saw them until the tiger scene. So that kind of yep. makes sense that they were really pushing that so they could show us later. Yes, um, except for Proximo's hyena, which you saw a couple times. That's right, which they did also use in the Coliseum. Hyenas and bears, they use bears. Apparently, they would find exotic like animals it. and throw them in there. And if I, anybody I, I doesn't want to sleep again, uh, apparently they used to use like a seesaw game where they would put two people on a seesaw, essentially. And then they had wild animals, you know, who were starving, no doubt, circling around them. And so they would try to knock the other one off. That was the halftime show, essentially. Come on. That's what they Horrible. said. The internet said it's, so. Um, it has to be true. I did laugh. Yes. I watched the behind the scenes, like the making of Gladiator. Um, and they had the one of the tiger trainers. And he's like, yeah, man, with those tigers, like, they can't act. So when they're angry, they're angry. <laughs> so you have to be careful. What about Proximo? What an amazing performance. As a oh, just amazing, it's so good, and he yeah. died partway through the filming. Mm -hmm. They had to CG him back in and change because he was supposed to be the unbeaten gladiator that Maximus fights in the penultimate fight before he fight. Oh, that um, I didn't know. Really? They had they had to change it right. because Oliver Reed had died. Yeah, yeah. So Oliver Reed. You know, was a brilliant actor who, you know, had his own vices. Um, he apparently, I swear, this was actually, where did I read this? Did he say it? He said, I, I promised Ridley I'd only uh, drink on the weekends. And he died, like, in a pub. Like, he was oh, no. drinking and he, like, laid down on the floor and he was gone. That's oh, one of the no. things, one of the, one of the things that I read. It was like, and now everyone was heartbroken because he was absolutely a delightful human being. Um, and that definitely comes out in the film. He had such a powerful performance. Um, oh, it was a great performance. And funny. Like, he yeah. really brought a lot of levity. Like, his line about the giraffes, you know, my giraffes, they walk around eating all day and not mating. <laughs> you know, like, he's like, he's so salty. Like, it's just, he's delightful in the, in the film. And it kind of breaks up some of the sort of dour, 
horrible, we're enslaved and we're enslaved so that we can kill each other type situation, which is, you know, pretty bad. There was a scene. It was an iconic scene. They use it in all the trailers. And I thought it was cool then, but I'd had such a deeper understanding of it now, which was right before they go to Rome, when Maximus, like, beheads the dude, and because it's just a dude, we just assume it's all men, um, and kills a bunch of people and screams at the people looking on, are you entertained? Yeah. And they, and you know what's funny? It's not the line. It's what happens right after the line. They cheer. Yeah. And he looks at them in complete confusion. Yeah. He threw a sword at the people in the box seats. Mm -hmm. Right? He's like furious. He oh, hates yes. everything about it. And they love it. They could not eat it up faster. And that's like going to a Bob Dylan concert. Sure. With a little more beheading. <laughs> um, 5% more. 5%. 5%. But I mean, that was the thing. Like, I, 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 that actually made me think of our modern times. Yes. Which was like, we will watch whatever uh, as, as long as it entertains, no matter how dark it gets. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that got to me. That really, like, that moment. Yeah. Again, they used it in the trailers, you know, whatever. And then I was like, yeah. And then I was like, wait, no, that's not the big moment. The big moment is what happens immediately after this. There was some irresponsibility with the making of this film. This is going to shock you. This was not okay. always done responsibly. People got injured doing this film. Russell Crowe um, lost feeling in his right forefinger for two years, aggravated an Achilles tendon, broke a foot bone, cracked a hip bone, and popped a few bicep, bicep tendons out of their sockets. And he wasn't the only one. Other people got injured all the time. That's well, not supposed to happen. And apparently, at the beginning of filming he was on i think it's when they were in germany and he was on a horse and the horse like ran him into some like tree or something and you can see like the cuts on his face are real and he's got stitches that you can see and you're like hey, he cut the crap beat out of him in this movie he did he absolutely did. well hilariously um in one of the behind the scenes the the um company asked him not to participate in the soccer game <laughs> and he wrote them a response letter that oh, was what did it. he say oh he, he said that he, he was he was being interviewed about this when they were doing the behind the scenes and he goes yeah so uh i kind of wrote them back and i was like yeah um fuck you like <laughs> you having me fight tigers and, yeah. and like just get the hell beat out of me and you're saying yeah. that soccer is my concern yeah yeah buzz off yeah i'm playing the yeah. soccer game oh my god i'm gonna mispronounce this man's name so badly jimon honsu jimon honsu yeah i knew you were gonna say it better than me <laughs> say, it, say it again so that people are less so that people don't remember hey you know what let's i'll just cut it hey dr tracy uh remember the gentleman who was in the film what was his name who was in amistad as well oh you're talking about jaiman hansu yes jaiman hansu of course he was in the 1997 amistad steven spielberg joint and um ended up in this he's a, another kind of brilliant actor who just kept showing up there after a while and he did a beautiful job as well. Yes. You know, again, another one of those where like, I wish your part had been bigger. I just, I just yes. wish it had been bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to see more of him for sure. He referred to the gladiators as slaves of entertainment. 
Oh, I like that. Which was, I thought, very interesting. They were originally going to make him the head of the slaves, um, and he actually objected to that. Hmm. He said, "I should not be the personification of this." Because Good for him. This wasn't. This wasn't the slavery of later. This is a different right. sort of slavery, and so yeah. I should not be the forefront of that. And so they took it away. I like the film. I think I do. I I, I have to say. I mean, in red, do I like it as much as I did twenty years ago? I don't know if that's true. I see that uh, maybe it's because I see some of the things I don't like about it now in a way that I just didn't see it before. Um, do you know yeah. who didn't like this movie? Roger <laughs> Ebert. <laughs> really? Muddy, fuzzy, indistinct. Come Ready? on. Really, oh. the visuals are gorgeous. He's going to get worse. Hang on. Ugh, you're killing me. Employs depression as a substitute for personality. And believes that if characters are bitter and morose enough, we won't notice how dull they are. Okay, so Ebert Slam crucified. They try to murder you in the woods, and they take control of something you've spent your entire life defending. I think you know, and then you know you're a slave, and your your job as a slave is to get killed and kill other people. Like I gotta say, like a little bit of bitterness. Probably we can give him a pass on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember this movie because I did get upset that he won this this Oscar because that was the same year that Castaway um, had Tom Hanks nominated for that Oscar. And I thought Hanks had really knocked it out of the park with that performance. But I think I'm, yeah. in, I think I'm in the minority. Now, had Hanks at that time won his back-to-back oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oscars for like Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, he did Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, and then he yeah. was nominated for Apollo 13 and did not win. Um, yeah. But this was this was 2000, so this was a few years after that. Um, yeah, yeah. But Forrest Gump was like 898, right? I think so. I think so. It was close. Well, was it? No. Wow, we're way off. It's 19. Forrest Gump was 1994. What? Forrest Gump was 1994. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, I thought, oh my God, how are you not going to give this uh, award to Tom Hanks, who did a movie by himself? Two hours of Tom Hanks talking to himself. A lot of people thought, I remember at the time, and I could be mistaken, that this was one of those Oscar giving you an Oscar for something else you did. Mm. So there was a lot of people who believed that The Insider was actually a more spectacular performance, and he didn't get the Oscar, so they gave it to him the next year. Though I think out of the three, I actually think Beautiful Mind is his actually best performance of the three. I I would agree with that. I think Beautiful Mind is a really, it's a really measured performance. You know, like Gladiator is a movie star movie. It is. I mean, it's he. It not to take anything away from his performance. It's a great performance. Like I I saw the performance and I was like, I will watch Russell Crowe walk down the street and like pick up a book and it's all because it's like there's he brings so much charisma to that role and like you buy him as this guy who's just like such a natural leader that everyone around him wants to automatically do everything he says to do and of course he's right because he's a brilliant you know strategist and things like that but it is not it's not an actorly performance it's a movie star performance yeah and i think i think i 
truly believe part of that has to do with the lack of writing, right? Oh, yeah. They could have written a, a beautiful performance for an actor. And I, I, I agree with you. I think he did a great job. He is a, yeah. an exceptionally talented actor. And you put yes. him in this movie, and he did an amazing job. I just don't know if mm -hmm. it's, you know, what should have given him that Oscar when the next year he gave a mind-blowing performance in A Beautiful Mind. I've actually seen that film multiple times. Do you know he and Ridley Scott have done like five movies together now? Isn't that amazing? I love that when you see people who just want to work together. And yeah. Like, well, and, and, and they, they clearly get each other's sensibilities, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I think I think Russell Crowe is one of the most magnetic, one of the best actors working. Um, I love, like, I love Master and Commander. Like, I'm not even going to make it up. I just, I thought he was great. That's, maybe that's why I thought that weird iceberg movie that we had talked about, The North Waters. Yes. Yeah, like, you know, like, that's, I kind of like was saying, like, it'd be like Master and Commander, but darker, you know. Yeah. So that, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's terrific. But yeah, he does definitely have that bearing and he's very believable Yeah. as, as that guy. I actually went and watched his Oscar speech. You know, he was like. Oh, I should do that. It's good. He was 35 when he made the movie. He was 36 when it was released. So I think he's like 37 when he gets like the Oscar. And he's just this young guy. And he is completely taken aback. You can tell he didn't think he was going to win. Yeah. He's probably rooting for Tom Hanks, too. He probably saw that movie and went, well, yeah, he deserves it. Alejandro's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's a beautiful speech. Uh, um, but I was going somewhere with that. Damn. Where was I going with that? Oh, that's not good for a podcast. Oh, I watched his Oscar speech. And then I actually watched one of those movie star answers, the internet's most burning questions. Yes. Pretty amusing. It was him doing it, but like now. And, you know, he's 20 years ago. He's not the yeah. same man. But when he spoke and he was answering all these questions, all I could think of was, wow, that's Russell Crowe. Because his voice hasn't changed a bit. Like it still oh, has wow. that gravitas to it which is i think why maximus works because he mm -hmm. has this commanding voice even when he's being funny it's just this yeah. deep resonant you know just wow and i found myself just watching this stupid little you know youtube clip of him answering questions from the internet and just in awe going well that's why that's why you're russell crowe because of that mm -hmm. because of the way you deliver a single sentence is so powerful and I didn't yeah. watch him in Noah. Just wasn't interested. But I'm sure he's great I in that, I, too. Hmm? He was great in that. I actually, like, I know there was a lot of hate. And that movie was, like, at least an hour too long. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was an effective parable. And he was great in it. And he's a little unhinged, which mm -hmm. is kind of nice. Like, he kind of lets it, you know, he unties the corset a little bit. It's good. He's... He's right out there. I, I, I liked I, him in that. I actually love A Good Year. Have you ever yeah. watched it? Uh-uh. It's not your typical Russell Crowe movie. It's yeah. this kind of Italian rom-com almost. And, oh, wow. Um, uh, is it Marianne Cotard? Um, it's like she oh, barely speaks fabulous. English. She's like she barely knows any English in that movie. Like as a human yeah. being, not the act, yes. not acting. No, she really like yeah. barely knew any English. Um, yes. And it's, there's another great actor whose name I'm blanking on, but essentially Russell Crowe works in like London and his uncle that he grew up with or spent summers with passes away and he leaves him his house and vineyard. And so he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? So he goes there to sell it. And then of course, eventually falls in love with the place. And it's this sweet little movie. 
I love it. It makes me happy. It makes me want to drink wine and wish I could live there. Um, it's, it's no beheadings. No, nobody gets beheaded. No, no, uh, no dead tigers. Uh, just, no, uh, yeah. And yes, you know, I could make the same arguments about female characters probably in that one too, but, um, it's a beautiful film. Anyway. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So to finish it off, 21 years later, what is your summary on Gladiator? I think that, you know, this movie, another reason for thinking back at this movie and something that really struck me on the rewatch was the influence that this movie has had on modern entertainment. So if you watch this movie as someone who has watched Game of Thrones, you realize that Benioff, Weiss, and Martin stole a ton of crap from this movie. I mean, Joffrey is a pale reflection of Commodus. And Maximus is who Ned Stark and Jon Snow would have been had they been smart. And there's a little bit of Cersei in Lucilla. Like, you can kind of see Lena Headey in that role. And be uh, like, 100%. Oh, yes. yeah, I see that. I see that flex. That's right there. And, you know, the big vistas and the, like, everything on location. And there is so much in Game of Thrones that I feel like just got ripped right out of Gladiator. It's It's been an influential movie, like whether, you know, people like the genre or not. And like, yes, my movie tastes tend toward like the darker or like these big set pieces of, you know, conflict and violence, things like that. But all the same, kind of kind of prescient in terms of the direction of the entertainment universe. I think you're way. right, right? Because like I said, what was it? How many decades before that had we seen the last like big kind of set piece movies like that so and they did say it was a renaissance of that it was it was even a renaissance of just gladiator roman and all that stuff that's how we ended up with brad pitt playing in troy which i still haven't watched because i saw the poster of brad pitt in a tan and i just i just said pass (laughs) it is is the most unintentionally funny movie i've ever seen like i i love watching the movie not because it's good Oh. It's terrible. It's terrible. But it's hilarious. I've probably seen it ten times. There you go. So that's uh that's if we've either made you really want to watch Gladiator or ruined it forever. What are the two? It's a retrospective. Well, I think we're allowed to mix it, right? Because I think we can see the good yeah. and the bad. I, I still think it's a good movie. And I do think you're right. I think it definitely influenced movies after it and clearly TV shows. Oh, okay, we have to end it with this. In 2001, they started talking about making a sequel. And every couple of years, they're still talking about making a sequel. I guess nobody's really written it, or they've written it or rewritten it. Then they talked about making a prequel. They really wanted Russell Crowe in it, which was interesting since he's dead. Um, Oh, by the way, did you know he wasn't supposed to die originally? No, I did not know that. Halfway through making the movie, Ridley Scott came over to uh, Russell Crowe and said, the way this is shaping up, I think I think he needs to die. What else is there? The man has one objective. And Russell yeah. Crowe said, yeah, I used to joke, like, what's he going to do when he's done with this? Open up a pizzeria, like, outside the Coliseum? Like, <laughs> it's like, they, he had one objective. He wanted to be with his family again, and he wanted revenge. And then yeah. they were like, yeah, he needs to die. Um, 
And so that's what they did. Um, but oh, yeah. It would have been like a not nearly as good a movie if he'd left. No. That would have been terrible. It definitely Yeah, I agree. That's, that's a good thing. Although I could have done without all of the like Big Lebowski style acid flashback floating over the ground into Elysium. Like that, all that stuff I could have really done without. I mean, it's two hours and 35 minutes. They could have trimmed that. Yeah. That could have been very simple. That could have been one shot of him walking towards his family, and I, w- I would have been fine with that. You At know? all. Just, like, you touch a little wheat and walk down the road. <laughs> okay, can I also tell you that when they said, who is going to help me carry him? And 700 yeah. people showed up, and my initial thought was, that's too many. Hey, guys, <laughs> can you guys back? And we can't. There's too many people. No. Okay, now we can't walk. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have too many. Sometimes you can have too many volunteers, you guys. So they've talked about doing the sequel. Every so many years, they're like, well, we're still working on it. All the actors have talked about it. Even uh, Connie Nielsen has talked about it. But um, yeah. the most recent headline was this year. Russell Crowe is making an appearance in Thor, God of Love and Thunder. The new. Team. I did see that, yes. Yeah. Guess who approached him and said, I want to be involved in a sequel? Chris Hemsworth. Now, the internet theories are saying Chris Hemsworth perfect adult Lucius. And I would go watch that. I would watch the hell out of that. But I also kind of want to watch him and everything. Um, And he's already been a gladiator for several years. It's called playing Thor. Well, and also, because like, you could really mind that because Lucius would have a lot of guilt because ultimately he's the one that tips off Commodus that his mother is helping Maximus. He also watched him die. All of them. Yes. All of them. He watched all of them die. Okay. I think we've dissected that sucker enough. Um, So, yes, so we'll see. Will Chris Hemsworth play Lucius, a.k.a. Maximus is my daddy? Um, I have no idea. Will Juba come back? I'm not going to say his name. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. We know Joaquin's not coming back. Connie could. She could come back. Connie Nielsen. Russell Crowe cannot come back. Maybe in flashbacks of some sort, but even then. (laughs) Anyway, no, I agree. Chris Hemsworth as the... That would be Lucius. Chris Helmsworth in the gladiator world is fine. I think we would all be like, yep. take my money. And you could Absolutely. even say, call him the Spaniard. That's fine. You know, <laughs> if he comes out talking like Antonio Banderas, fine. I'll watch that. <laughs> it's totally believable. From the Just north another of Australian trying to pass as Latino. I get it. <laughs> Happens all the time. Thank you so much for um, breaking down this movie with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it was a that, delight. I mean, talking about random stuff within this movie without necessarily covering the whole plot. Because who wants that? I mean, it's 21 years well, old. Go watch it. <laughs> it costs like $3. Yeah. 